in just a few weeks, we will be taking up, um, begin taking up for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That uh, video that you saw this morning is the first of several that we'll watch over the next few weeks that will draw our attention to what's going on in the world around us. Um, these individuals that we'll be seeing the videos of are, are people who are planting churches all across America and, um, and how God's called them uh, to, to come and do this and how God is calling us as his people to support that. Uh, the way that we do that is through the cooperative program, through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, we have taken up, uh, I believe it was $180 for Lottie Moon. Um, you know, may not sound like a whole lot of money, but you know, it is, it is money that's given to God for the, the expansion of his kingdom and, and for the spread of the gospel. And that's what God's called us to do. And so I um, want to, to, to be praying about what God would have you give, how God would have you uh, pray for these missionaries. Um, through the North American Mission Board is how my family and I uh, came to this church. And, uh, you know, and, and God has used that in a great way. Um, and, and we're just one story. Uh, and there's thousands of people out there that need support and need help. And so we want to be able to contribute to that. So I wanted to, to draw your attention to that. If you have God's Word, and I hope you do, um, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. If you have your worship bulletin, then inside there is a, a, uh, a little worship guide as to, to help you follow along as, as we work through this text this morning. And we've been, we've been moving slowly through, through Philippians, and, and, and this morning we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3. And so as you turn there, I want to... Uh, um, by show of hands, has anyone in here ever flown on an airplane? Okay, we've had one. Only one person flown on an airplane. Oh, to fly. Yeah, to fly. All right, so we've had we've had several people to fly. Um, <clears throat> I I don't think any of us in here could classify ourselves as as frequent flyers, but we do fly on occasion. Um, and I haven't flown, you know, too terribly much, but I, I have had the the privilege and the uh, the occasion to fly and. And, and when, you're, you're, when you're at the airport, when you're sitting there at the terminal, um, you know, I, I do some things to, uh, to, to kind of take my mind off of the fact that I'm about to, to hurl myself through space in a flying bird. Uh, I began to, to look for things to, to take my mind off the fact that I'm about to board the plane. Um, he wants to be louder than me this morning. <laughs> um, but I have, uh, uh, because I am nervous when I fly, I don't like to fly, but because I am nervous, I began to notice little things around me. I don't know if it's because of September 11th or if it's, you know, just nervousness, but I began to, to, to look at all the people that are going to be on the plane with me. And I have noticed, uh, I noticed two things about the individuals that fly on airplanes. And if you're ever in an airport terminal and you find yourself there waiting for your plane, look around at the people that are there. And, and... <clears throat> And I've been able to, to kind of categorize people into two groups. And, and I think you if, you if you think back, if you, you remember your experiences, you'll be able to as well. But there's two types of individuals waiting to board an airplane. The first group of individuals are those who are there and they're, uh, they're relaxed. They're reading newspaper or they're reading a book or they're, they're typing away on their computer or they're on their phone talking or having a conversation with their friends. And, and uh, some of them are eating, some of them are, are stretched out sleeping. You know, they're, they're relaxed. There's, there's no worries. They're... They're there. 
But there's another group of people. There's those there that, <clears throat> that aren't so relaxed. And, I, and I'm not talking about the people like me who, who nervously fidget because they're scared of flying. But, but there's, there's people who, who will constantly walk up to the boarding desk. And they'll talk to the flight attendants. And then they'll kind of nervously pace back and forth. And then they'll go over to the window and they'll stare out there for a while. And, and every time the phone rings at the desk, they'll, they'll run back over to the desk. And they, and, and they, they live with this, um, this state of anxiousness as they're there at the terminal. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so the, the second group isn't, isn't quite as, as relaxed. But I found myself considering, you know, what's the difference between these two types of individuals? Because you have some that are... That are laid back and, and, and you know, there's no problems. Then you have these others that are, that are just kind of pacing the floor, wondering. And, and if, we, if we look at these two types of individuals, we can, we can define that by, by their confidence. The first group is, is confident. They're there at the, the terminal. They've got plenty of time. They've, they've got their ticket ahead of time. You know, all they have to do is sit there and wait for the plane to show up. There, there's no worries. But the other group that, that paces the floor and, 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 and nervously walks back and forth to the desk and, and is constantly trying, those are the individuals who aren't so confident because for whatever reason, they're on standby or they, they don't have the promise of a ticket yet. And, and maybe they, they thought that they would get a ticket when they got to the, the airline. You know, I, I'm one of those type of people, I like to know ahead of time that I've got everything in order when I go to fly. My dad is the opposite. My dad will go to the airport hoping to get a flight, and, and he'll sit on standby waiting to see if he'll get one. You know, but, but there's, there's two different types of individuals. Those, those that are confident that, that they're going to get to their destination, and there's those who, who kind of anxiously and, and nervously fidget and, and, and wonder if they'll make it there. And so <clears throat> this morning, as we, we look at, at Colossians, I mean Colossians, I got Colossians on the brain, but as we look at Philippians chapter 3, um, we're going to continue on where we've been treading through what, what Paul has been uh, 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 working us through, uh, the, the church to the Philippians. And, and this is a letter to us, the church, and, and you know, chapter 1, we, we saw the joy in living. And in chapter 2, we saw the joy in serving and how Christ is our example in, in, in serving and how that brings joy to our eyes. Well, this morning, we want to start chapter 3. And, and, and in chapter 3, Paul makes a transition here. And we go from joy in living and joy in serving to joy in knowing. If you look at the top of your paper there, it says that, joy in knowing. And under that, I have the, the title, Two Types of, of Christians. And that's in quotation marks on purpose. Because there, I believe there's, there's two types of Christians. There are those who are, who are in the church who believe they are in Christ who profess to be Christians, maybe it's by a matter of fact, or maybe it's just by association, and then there are those who are true Christians. And this morning, as we, as we look at this, I specifically want us to see a distinction between the, the two types of individuals that are found in the church, and see where the confidence of these individuals lie, and, 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 and how it's found. And so this morning, I don't want us to be looking around, we're going to discuss some, some different types of people. I don't want us pointing fingers. I don't want us letting our minds drift over to, to, to who needs to be here in this or, or that describes that. I want us to put some blinders on. You know, the, the, the purpose of blinders on the horse is to, to keep the horse focused on, on the path. This morning, as, as, as Christians, I want us to put the blinders on. And I want us to, to not be thinking about everybody else. I want us to look at us. And I want us to consider ourselves and... and, 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 and Discover where our confidence is. 
and, and, and where it can be found. So if you have Philippians chapter 3, look at verses 2 through 11. I'm, I'm skipping over verse 1 because verse 1 actually kind of goes with chapter 2, and, 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 and verse 2 is where chapter 3 picks up. So, so look at verse 2. He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for His sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for allowing us to be here this morning and, and to have our ourselves... Uh, laid before you to, Father, inspect us. Help us to inspect ourselves to see where we are. If, if we're falling short, Father, to, to pick up the slack. If we're, if we're where we need to be, Father, to be encouraged to keep on. But be with us as we look at your word this morning and, and identify who we are and, and, and where our confidence lies in you. So we thank you for these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's no coincidence that as we transition from chapter 2 into chapter 3 that Paul begins to identify who is in Christ and who is not. He's just been a good portion of, the, of his letter helping the people understand that, that there's a model and there's a motive for serving others. And in, in chapter 3 here, he begins with a warning. And in a, in a loose translation, here's what the warning is. Not everybody who comes to church is a Christian. Not everybody who's serving in the church is a Christian. Not everybody who is identified with the church is in Christ. They're not a Christian. And just because somebody may have some good external works, just because somebody may, may serve in, in, in different capacities, doesn't mean that they're in Christ. And so even if you've been in church for a long time, sometimes it's hard to discover who is a Christian and who's not. Because externally, that's all we see sometimes. We see the, the works. We see things that people do. And, and this morning, Paul, Paul gives some cautions. And he, and he gives some, some good ways to examine ourselves in this passage. And, and this morning, as we look, I want us to see two types of individuals that, that are often in the church. And, and of these types of individuals, of individuals, I'm not going to be speaking directly to those that, that come to church seeking to, to find out more about Christ. I, I'm talking about those who are active in the church because that's who Paul's writing to. Paul's writing to those that are, that are active in the church and, and, and just because 
you're in the church doesn't mean that you're in Christ. And sometimes we take that for granted, don't we? Don't we? We see people that have been in church for years and we assume that, that they're Christians. But that's not always the case. And so this morning I want us to look at that and, and I want us to, to look at, at these types of individuals. And the first type of individuals that you see in the church is the religious. When Paul is writing the letter, the, the culture of the church is, is under constant fire. Not only from, from the world, from non-believers, but also from within the Jewish community. The, uh, there are some very religious individuals that have, have come into the church and, and, and they, are, they are teaching things contrary to what Paul would teach. There are some religious people that have come into the church and they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior. And, and so they hold very close to the belief in Judaism, which excludes Christ. And, and they, they hold very close to some ceremonial laws and, and things that, that Christ said that he came to do away with. Or, or came to fulfill, I should say. And so <clears throat> he talks about some, some people who are religious. But, but he doesn't speak of, of the religious in a, in a good sense. He, he sees them as a threat. And so he begins in, in chapter 2 here. He says, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for, for those who mutilate the flesh. And so they, these were people who, who had, had come into the church and they were trying to keep people uh, from, from believing in Christ, keep people from believing in, in grace and, and, and God's mercy. They wanted to keep people in bondage, keep them under the law, keep them doing the same things that they had been doing for thousands of years because that's all they've ever known. And, and so Paul is warning them about these types of people. And he calls them some names. And now I know you were raised better than that. And I was raised better than that. My mama told me that you don't call people names. And I'm sure Paul's mama maybe taught him the same thing. But, but Paul calls these individuals some pretty harsh names. And, and while in, in, our, in our day and time, these words may seem weak compared to some of the language we have nowadays. But in Paul's time, the, the language he's using was strong language towards these individuals. And, and especially to be called words like dog, he's not talking about his friends. He says, he says they're dogs. You know? <clears throat> um, and so he's, he's using the strong language. And, 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 and in this day, you know, dogs weren't the lap pets that we have nowadays. They weren't cute and they weren't domesticated and, and they, they weren't trained. You know, dogs scoured the streets and they, they were scavengers and they were ugly and they were filthy and they were mangy and they were rabid. And they, and they lived in packs and they were a nuisance and they wreaked havoc wherever they went. And so Paul identifies these religious people as dogs. People who were in their heart un, unclean. They were filthy. They were, they were wreaking havoc in the church. They were, they were causing all kinds of problems. <clears throat> and so... He, he calls them dogs, but he also goes on to, to call them evildoers. You know, there's, there's plenty of people who, who do in the church, but, but do they do for the right reasons? You know? And, and so um, there were some in the church who were busy working, but Paul says something about their work. He said it was evil. And so they're not only dogs, but there's, there's people who are, who are out there to, to manipulate and to... to, to to try and trip people up and to try to keep people in bondage by, by their work. And so they have ulterior motives and they, they use manipulation as their tool. But, but he also says, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. You know, we, we, don't, we don't 
take part in these type of ceremonies anymore. But, but to be a Jew, to be considered under God, you had to be circumcised. And there were some who, who you know, God said it is more important to have the circumcision of the heart to be set apart by your, by your life. There were some that still wanted to hold people to the rules and the, the regulations of, of the other 630 Jewish laws that were out there. And so Paul's saying, you know, there's those who mutilate the flesh, they're legalists. They want to they keep you in, in bondage by, by making sure you follow the rules and, and that you, you, you dot every I and you cross every T. And he says, beware. Look out for them. And so <clears throat> when we hear the word religious, you know, do, we, do, we, do we think of, of good things or do we think of bad things? You know, I think when, when we hear the word religious, our, our mind naturally shifts to, to those that, that go to church, people that are Christians. You know? I think when the world sees uh, or, or hears about the church, they see the church as a, a group of people who are religious. And that would be correct because the church is full of religious people. But, but what, about it? what is it that, that makes religious wrong? You know, Look what Paul says in verses 4 through 6. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul describes himself. He says, this is who I was. I have all the right credentials. I have all the markings of a truly religious person. And in, in this day, the religious people wanted to be like Paul. They, they had the, he had the qualities that they wished they could claim for themselves because he was a star. He was a celebrity. He, he had uh, fame within the communities because of his, his credentials here. And so when, when Paul identifies being religious with something to be warned of, he's telling people, you know, look out for people who are like me. You know, and, 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 and the reason it's so dangerous to be, be considered religious is, is where does the confidence of a religious person lie? Look back at verse 4. What's it say? He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Do you remember where, where Paul said in chapter 2 where, where, the, where our ability to do anything comes from? Is it from ourselves? Is it from our own abilities? No, it comes from Christ. But, but the church is full of religious people. And, and I say religious because religious people find their confidence in themselves. Look at Paul. Look at his credentials for just a moment there. Circumcised on the eighth day. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He upheld the law. He did all of these things. He was blameless under the law, meaning he kept the law to the fullest extent. And, and, and where does that come from? He, it was from his ability to do those things. He had disciplined himself in order to, to, to make that happen. But what does that look like today? I mean, when we talk about the church being full of religious people, when you, when you hear about people who go to church, what comes to mind? People who are moral, right? They don't, they don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't, they're not addicted to anything. They, they obey all the laws of the land. They, they never do anything wrong. I mean, you know, Ned Flanders. 
You know, just just always in and <clears throat> doing the right thing. Or or there are people who are confident that yeah, they've never missed a church service, or you know, that they, they read their Bible every day and they pray every day and they do everything like they should and they, they take pride in these things because they have the, the right look and they, they have the right Christian t-shirts and they got all the right bumper stickers on their car and they, they have all these things that identify them as Christian and identify them as religious. And I'm not saying that, that those things are bad. But when your hope and your confidence is built on those things, It's an inch deep. And it won't get you very far. So we, 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 we want to avoid being religious. Because you know what lies at the heart of people who are religious? Pride. Arrogance. Because the, the focus of the religious person's confidence stems from what they're able to do. And it shows... Uh, uh, it, it goes to, to prove how religious they are and, and, and how spiritual they are. And so they, they, they do these things not so that they can influence others and so that they can help others grow, but they do these things so they can boast and so that they can uh, mark them off their list. But what happens when you miss the mark? What happens when you fall or you fail to, to meet all of the requirements on your list? For most people, it, it causes them to, to become frustrated and, and to, to, to try harder and to, uh, <clears throat> or it, it causes them to quit. And people end up frustrated and, and devastated and, and they put unbelievable pressure on themselves to, to do the right thing, to do more, to work harder, to, to try better. And so they, they come to church more, they pray more, they read the Bible more, and they, they, they want to know more than others, and they, they want to they, they do all these things, and what happens, it ends up breeding a contempt in their heart for other people because other people aren't working as hard as they are. And they begin to look down on other people, and they begin to judge other people. Which feeds the flesh even more. And puts the confidence back in themselves. And, and Paul warns of this behavior because he's been there. That was him. And I, I believe that looking out this morning, most of us have spent a good portion of our lives in church. And if we, if we truly open ourselves up, we look at ourselves, we examine who we are, we've been there too. We've done things for the wrong reasons. We've served out of a, out of a, out of a pride or a boastful heart. Not because of what Christ has done, but because of what we've been able to do. And so we're guilty of being religious. But does God want us religious? Does God want us to be a Christian by association or a Christian in, in title alone? Or does he, have, does he have something better for us? So he tells us some, some things to, to look for here. Look at the next one. If you have the religious, you also have the other type that could be found in the church. These are the followers of Christ. Look at verses 7 through 11. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from the faith in Christ, 
The righteousness from God depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's given us his resume. He's given us his, his credentials. He's told of how having this right pedigree that, that he's had it all. He's been taken care of financially. He's, he's been an example for all the other leaders. He's attained the celebrity status. And, and in fact, Paul could walk into any synagogue, any temple, and teach whatever he wanted to, and it would never have been questioned. Because he was moral. He kept the law. He had the right look. He had the right speech. He had all the right things. Had people idolizing him. And, and what does Paul say about all of that fame and fortune and, and celebrity status that he attained? He says, I count it all for loss. Everything he gained, he counted as loss because, you know, the, the very lives that others would have killed for, Paul says it's worthless. And why? Why wouldn't you think once you've, you've gained this position in life that, and the success that he had achieved that, that you would want to hang on to it? I mean, after all, he was working for God. But call, Paul calls it rubbish. He calls it dumb. Because it was, it was all attained through, through human work, through human merit. And when you live your life trying to live up to your own standards or the standards of other people... What is the result? More often than not, it's, it's continual failure. Because who can, who can keep all the law? Who can keep all the commandments? Who can, who can do these things? And it, it leads to frustration and depression and, and devastation because you can't measure up. Not when you, you put yourself against the yardstick of God. We're going to fall short every time. And, and, and so Paul knows this firsthand when, when he's on the road to Damascus. You know, he's gotten, he's gotten permission from the synagogues to go and kill all the Christians. And, and, and religious people will, will do some crazy things like that. Religion will make you do some, some crazy things. But he's been given permission to go and kill all the Christians. And, and on the road to Damascus, who does he meet? Jesus. Jesus shows him where all of his goodness, where all of his righteousness, where all of his credentials got him. He humbled him. He blinded him. He, he crippled him. And for the first time in his life, Paul had to put his confidence in something other than himself. And when Paul quit trusting in himself and he began to put his faith in Christ, look what happened. Look at verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We, we can know God's Word. We can know what, what to do at church. We can know what it means to, to, to be saved. But unless we know Jesus Christ as Lord, we got nothing. And so, so Paul is, is no longer trying to, to measure up to his own standards or, or trying to, to put himself up there with everyone else. He's finally meeting the standard that God requires because he, he surrenders himself. He's obedient to, to God. And so Paul was no longer worried about impressing other people. Do you know how freeing that is? To know that if you don't have to impress anybody, that, that if you're in Christ, you're good. 
God says, that if, you, if you trust me, if you follow me, if you obey me, that's enough. I don't have to impress men. I don't have to impress anybody. And, and, and Paul was able to stand before the highest officials in the land and, come, and proclaim Christ, proclaim the gospel, even though he knew it was going to get him killed. Paul is sitting in a house in, in, in Rome awaiting the trial before Nero, knowing that once he stands before Nero, that there's a, a good possibility he'll have his head cut off. Does he refrain from telling Nero about Christ? Not a bit. Because where was his confidence? Look at verses 10 and 11. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul saw that what he was going through, that what he was experiencing was momentary. And that they were light in comparison, in comparison to what Christ had done for him through his suffering and through what, uh, his death and his resurrection. And when we get to the place where we fully understand that, when we, when we don't just know about Christ, but we experience Christ, we, we have a relationship with Him. That there's nothing we can't do, there's nothing we can't accomplish to find favor in God. If we want to find favor in God, accept Him, obey Him, live for Him. And so our, our confidence is, is based on, on His grace and through His mercy and and there's no limit to what he can do for us. And so our, our confidence is driven by love. It's not found in ourselves. It's found in Christ. And, and, and all that we do and, 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 and all that we strive to do is done from love and from obedience. So that when we read our Bible and we pray every day, it's not so that we can mark it off a list or so that we can brag about it to other people that we do it. Because we want to get closer to God. We want to, we want to learn more. We want to be like Him. And, and, and when we come to every church service that we're possibly able to, and then that we, we come and have fellowship with Him, it's not so that we can say, well, I was there Sunday, where were you? It's so that we can, we can have that, that relationship, that fellowship that God wants us to have with other believers. So we can be strengthened, so we can be encouraged to go back out and share that with other people. And, and if we're asked to teach or, or we're asked to pray or we're asked to, it's not so that you know we can show how spiritual we are. It's so that we can help others grow. And there's there's one more thing that that as I was I was looking at this and and and, and distinguishing the between the two types of people. You know what? You know what else comes from following in Christ? Rest. I find that, that religious people are always strung out. They're always trying to do more. They're always trying to, to get to the next level. But when your confidence is not in yourself, your confidence is in Christ, you have rest. Because who's done all the work? Who's done, <clears throat> who's done the, 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 the saving work in, in Christ? You know, it, it, it's not of anything that, that we've done. And so we can rest in knowing that when we serve Christ and when we work for Christ, what of it's done in vain? What of it's not going to bear fruit? What's not going to be successful? All of it will be if we, if we put our, our confidence in Him. We can also rest in the fact that, that if we, 
neglect or fail to do what God has called us to at times, if we sin, if we mess up, we can rest in the, in the knowledge knowing that God's not going to forsake us or forget about us. doesn't mean that we can live that way. It doesn't mean we can, we can continue on ignoring God, but it means that if we do, He's faithful. He'll forgive us. You know, he doesn't say, oh, well, you dropped the ball on that one. I'm sorry. No more. And isn't that, isn't that the tendency of the religious people? Religious people want to say, you know, you, you, you've messed up one too many times. You, you can't come back. You know, it's been said, God is the God of second chances. He's the God of third and fourth and fifth and 70 times seven. God forgives. God requires. He requires obedience. He, he requires us to, to be in Him, not be of Him. He doesn't want us to just know Him uh, in, in, a, in a knowledge sense. He wants to, to know Him in an intimate, personal sense. And we can experience the joy in knowing Christ because of what He's done for us and not for what we've done. I mentioned two types of individuals in the airport. Those who were confident because they had their tickets, they were paperwork was in order, they had confirmation from the airline, they were guaranteed a seat. And you have those who, who lacked the confidence of, of a ticket because for whatever reason they, they missed it. And and at best they have the hopes that maybe they'll have a seat. I fear that there will be many people in the day of judgment when they stand before Christ that they, they'll they be unsure about their salvation because while they've been religious, they'll be aware that they haven't known Christ. They may have done all the right things, but they never had the relationship. They never had the, the personal one-on-one -on -one with Jesus that, that He requires. And there'll be those who stand before Christ and be welcome in because they'll live with the, they've lived with the confidence of what Christ has done for them. And they served out of love and they served out of obedience because of what Christ had done. And so the question for us this morning, and especially as a church, is are we guilty of being religious? You know, I, I, I said at the beginning that, that at some point in our lives we all have been guilty of religious, but, but is that where God wants us? If anybody was religious, Paul was. And, and do you think maybe Paul doesn't want people to go through the same, same experiences he had to go through in order to learn that? So <clears throat> we need to be confident. Confident that, that what we do, that, that how we live and, and how we serve is done because of what Christ has done for us and not based on what we've been able to accomplish. And so as, as we continue to, to grow here as a church, as a body of, of believers, do we want to be marked as religious? Is that how we want the world to see us? Or do we want to be marked as followers of Christ? Do we want the, the love of Christ to overflow out of our lives and influence the people in our community? Or do we want to stand back and, and hold people to a high standard that they can't, they can't achieve? Are, are, are people drawn to religiousness? Or are people drawn to Christ? And He's been given to us as our example.
So Father, as we close out this morning, forgive us of the sin of religiousness. Father, help us to to live our lives with the confidence that that we have a relationship with you and that that we don't have to we don't have to meet other people's standards. We don't have to live up to what other people think. We can we can rest in the knowledge that that you are enough. And we put our faith and our trust in you and we ask that you would be with us, Father. There may be someone in here that that is very religious. But you've exposed that, that they lack relationship. Father, we pray that you would turn their heart towards you and that you would, you would give them rest. That you would give them the confidence that comes from a, a, a relationship with you. That you would meet them where they are and that, that they would begin today to, to follow you and to live in obedience and, and, and to do these things. So that, so that they can have the confidence to, to live with the joy of knowing you. Father, there's some in here today that don't know you, that, that, that aren't religious or aren't Christian. Father, that, that just maybe they're hearing for the first time about what you've done for them through your son. Father, continue to, to foster that, continue to, to grow that in their heart, that they would come to a knowledge of you, that, that they would wait no longer, and they would want to come today and, and find out what it means to be a true follower of Christ. So, Father, be with us as we leave. And as we close out this time, help us to reflect on, on who we are, that we would examine ourselves and that we would, we would lay ourselves out before you and that you would be able to, to point us in the direction that we need to go. So be with us as we, as we take time to reflect on your word. We thank you for what you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Valerie's going to come. She's going to play a hymn for us.